We are. F- we I, 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 I we we had a break before, but this this was a break. Yep, this was a fucking Kit Kat. Oh, give me a break. Yeah, uh, it's my fault. Um, I fess up. Okay, Audacity <laughs> figured it out. Audacity was like, I don't want to hear your fucking confessions. No, uh, we we took a break mainly because uh, I was having all kinds of medical and uh, and existential <laughs> and existential issues. Yeah. yeah, but but mainly medical. Um, it's been uh, a strange year. Um, Boy, and, has it? Yeah, and I I needed some time to recover. Um, as a result, uh, I did not get to read all the things that I wanted to read. I'm cat. I'm in catch up mode again, which I I basically am at any given time. But I'm now I'm in like double catch up mode. Yeah, yeah I'm like double secret. Corporation I'm in mayo chup mode. mode. Oh man, that's, oh. that's real slow. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So we as we were approaching this this recording, we were like, "What do we want to talk about? What is the fucking thing that we're going <laughs> to come back and talk about?" Because we had a couple ideas early on, you know, for various topics, and it was like, you know, it, it didn't really feel like that was something that you know was that warranted you know us coming back and saying, "Okay, you know, this is the sort of." The, the, the fresh start of the podcast, um, you know, where we're going to get back on a regular schedule, and I know we've said that before, but, now, you know, this time we're actually going to try. Yep. Um, season two, yo. Yep. So, for, you know, for the, the start of season two, we wanted to sort of end season one and say, like, okay, well, we t- we've talked about a lot of books you know, over the course of the last year. We've talked about a lot of news, and what would be better than to do sort of a, a, a top, and it's, it's going to be a top ten, but we're each going to do five. So you're basically going to get a top 10, both, you know, sort of news stories, like what's coming up in 2019, what happened right at the end of 2018 that is sort of noteworthy. Obviously, we're not going to go all the way back to the three months that we weren't recording because there's a lot of news that happened, but we're going to hit the highlights. And then we're also going to talk about some of, you know, the books that that we maybe have discussed in the podcast before. I know when I was assembling my list, I decided I didn't want to do any of the books that we talked about already because I wanted to give some some new stuff, um, some new impressions. Audacity, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> if you're going to assemble a list of books this year, uh, these are the ones that you know that you should you should pick up. So hopefully uh, you enjoy what we're talking about. And uh, you know if you don't, well, then come back in season two and we're probably going to give you the same shit. So we're going to talk more about Batman's dick. We're gonna try and diversify more, even more, in season two. Diversify your bonds, and uh, you know, and 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 continue to do to hit all the points that we, you know, are sort of our mission statement. Yes. You know, really. I don't remember what that is. Yeah, we're really trying to give credit where it's due to the entire creative team of a book. Right. You know, we're trying to expand our horizons and and not, you know, we're we're always trying to reach beyond the big two, but even more than that, beyond the big whatever it is, the five, I guess at this point. Yep. Marvel, um, DC. The NBA, mm-hmm. uh, Elon Musk, yep, and Fortnite. Yeah. So if we can get beyond those talking points, then uh, you know I, I think we're really gonna we're gonna make a name for ourselves. That was also my top five comics for the year. Oh, Marvel, DC, Elon Musk, <laughs> Fortnite, and the NBA. I think so. That, that's that's well, that is diverse. Yeah. 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 I thought so. Yeah. Um. All right. So let's let's jump right into it with to news. Uh, so I, I, I have five news stories. I think Jared yeah. also, we, we, yeah. we limited it to five cause we didn't want to go, you know, for three hours on this. I've got kind of a strange setup for mine where mine are like three books I'm, that I'm most looking forward to in okay. 2019 okay. and then two things sort of about the future of the medium in general that sort of tie together. Okay. All right. Well, I mean, sure. Uh, well, why don't you start then? Because mine are okay. all sort of like very much 
news points. Okay. They're, some of them are, are like books that I'm looking forward to related, but they're more like, hey, this is a thing that's happened or is happening. So, uh, yeah, I'll start off with just sort of the, 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 the books that I'm really looking forward to in 2019 based off of, um, you know, news announcements up to this point. And uh, the first one is actually a very recent announcement. So I'm glad I procrastinated. Um, it was just announced uh, on, uh, well, I, you know, I heard about it first on social media. Breaking news yeah. here on the podcast. We have a first look exclusive at whatever this book is. Uh, this is, you know, I, I think everybody is pretty familiar with this book at this point. It, it, it's it's had some amazing runaway success. It's the Runaways. It, you heard it here first. <laughs> well, the Runaways uh, did have some runaway success, but no. Uh, but in that vein, um, so this is about Ms. Marvel ah. at Marvel Comics. Yeah. Um, yeah, Amazon Prime doing a great job. <laughs> oh, we're going to get back to Amazon, don't you worry. Uh, but no, uh, G. Willow Wilson, uh, author and sort of and, and creator of of Ms. Marvel well, in the current G. Willikers there for a second. I was like, man, good, my my good friend G. Willikers. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, if if I have to ever have to have a, like a comics writing, she is actually going to be uh, after a, a lengthy run, um, you know, and and just really pushing the character and. Uh, achieving so much success, not just in you know the comics sphere, but um, you know like it's that character has. I'm glad they're letting her out of the comic sphere. Yeah, it's tough to write in there with no, without any air. Yeah, I mean, and it's just it's it's kind of weird. It's like being in a hamster ball. <laughs> so, uh, in 2019, G Willow Willikers is moving beyond the hamster ball, y'all. <laughs> my, fa- my favorite Stephen King story: Beyond the hamster ball, y'all. <laughs> but yeah, she's she is passing the torch. She's ready to move on to some other things. Yeah, she's going to ride the Human Torch. Uh, <laughs> well, we ruined the surprise. Um, but yeah, it's been announced that in 2019, um, her the, so the last issue that she's writing was solicited as uh, February's uh, Ms. Marvel 38, um, which should mark the uh, the end of her uh, her current run, uh, and then it's going to be handed off to, and I am excited about this, um, Saladin Ahmed. Who has made a name, of, you know, in, in a few places, but has really made a name at Marvel as well, doing stuff like Black Bolt recently, um, but also did the, the the really great book over at Boom uh, Abbott, which I think we talked about we briefly did. before. We yes, did. we've mentioned Saladin Ahmed and Abbott on the podcast. Yeah, um, and then the artist uh, for for this new run is going to be. Uh, hopefully, I don't butcher this too badly. Uh, Minkyu Jung. Um, who uh, is, has become famous doing a lot of DC books like Batgirl, Nightwing, and Titans. Uh, and they're going to be doing a whole new volume of the series that's uh, going to be titled The Magnificent Ms. Marvel, uh, which is due to drop... Which is uh, chomping Amazon's flavor. Let me tell <laughs> it's, uh, it's actually a prequel to uh, the... Uh, what is it? The, yeah, the Marvel is Ms. Maisel. Ms. Marvel is a stand-up comic in the 1930s, struggling to make it in a man's world. It's uh, it's a it's a strange mashup. Imagine, if you will, uh, a young Joan Rivers who can stretch her body because she's an inhuman. Uh, we already have that. It's Joan Rivers now. <laughs> that face is embiggened. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the uh, number one issue of this is due to drop uh, in what was this? They're saying March thirteenth, twenty nineteen. Yeah. So really looking forward to that. So and and of course. Wish G Willow Willikers the best in everything she's doing going forward, and and the, the, I'm psyched for the new team. So it's uh, this is this is good stuff. Yeah. 
Um, alright, my, my, my first new item of news is something that happened. I mean, everybody's aware of it. I told Jerry we were going to talk about it very briefly. I don't want to spend too much time on it because we sort of, you know, the, 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 the major sort of time for this now has, has come and gone, you know, for a lot of people to discuss this. But since we were recording at the time, I just want to note the passing of Stan Lee. Um, you know, we've, we've lost a couple luminaries this year. Um, and, you know, it, it's definitely a shame to see somebody who has, especially through the MCU, done sort of so much to, like, bring comic personalities to the forefront. I mean, even the people who don't have any idea about, like, what is happening in the world of comics know Stan Lee at this yeah, point. especially at this point, That's yeah. That's what I mean. Like, yeah. you know, with his cameos, with he everything is, he's been doing, he, he has become... The Marvel figurehead. Yeah, and, and, and quite literally the face of comics over the last, you know, the course of the last... Yeah. For the, for the layman, the face of comics over the course of the last, you know, couple of years. It's a, it's a shame uh, Kirby couldn't have been here with him uh, up to this point. Yeah. And, you know... Uh, we just I just wanted to sort of give my my salute to the man who you know who started a, a lot of characters and a lot of uh, uh, ideology in how to write exciting comics that weren't just sort of you know uh, boom pam bam biff pow like golden age era superhero adventures where you know the good guys were infallible and could do no wrong you know, you know he yeah. really he really did revolutionize and you say what you know say what you will about Stan Lee about his politics and some of the career decisions he's made over the course of his life I'm not here to dissect the man's you know uh, bibliography yeah. or we're not going to go all Howard Chaykin on yeah, you or his life's work or Bill Maher <laughs> uh, oh god but uh you know the man the man definitely sort of modernized how we think about our heroes and how they can yeah. be flawed. And, and, you know, especially with, like, look at Spider-Man. Spider-Man yeah. was one of his earliest successes in that regard, and, and that really launched comics into, like, sort of the mainstream that they, they've become now. So we, yeah. we as readers and, you know, and writers and people who exist in this sphere owe a lot to Stan Lee. So, yeah, I mean, he, he set, really set the tone for the Marvel house style. Yeah. You know, that the, these were, they were superheroes that, that were beyond, so, you know, our understanding you know our day-to-day -day lives but man they did they were just grounded were in human, human. that yeah in yeah. humanity and day-to-day -day drama and that's just what really uh you know just opened up superhero comics just opened them wide and, and i will say this uh, this you know to, to end on this note um unfortunately like i said there are people some people you know tried to tarnish the legacy by for for whatever reason you know pissing on comics culture as being not worthwhile or, or something. But I'm glad that Stan posthumously got the last laugh, and, and I'm not going to spoil anything here, but if you haven't seen Into the Spider-Verse, his cameo in that uh, really sort of, in, in, a, in a few simple words, cements his position as to, like, where, you know, a superhero identity and comic culture stands in... You know, across all time, but especially in today's society where, you know, we have so many people of so many diverse genders, ethnicities, and, you know, orientations all coming together to read comics. So I, I am super glad that he did get in one last cameo. I'm sure he's going to have, I think they filmed yeah, one from his Marvel for team. Uh, Avengers. Uh, sorry, uh, Captain Marvel. Yeah, Captain yeah. Marvel. Um, but uh, the, the end of the Spider-Verse cameo, to me, is really the bookend on Stan Lee's sort of... Uh, uh, vision for you know what comics were and could be. So, yep. Salute we are true believers, sir. Yep. You'll be missed. All right. What's next? 
All right, so uh, next comic I'm looking forward to in 2019, we're uh, we're gonna jump over uh, to the other the other big one, okay. other to D- over to DC. Okay. Um, and I'm gonna touch on um, you know one one of the comics in my top five is this is not gonna be a surprise in the least, um, but this particular book is it's sort of a Morrison book. Uh, no. <laughs> It's not, um, but I mean, what? Well, once normally you, when you say it, this is not going to be a surprise, yeah. please. It's a great no. Morrison I mean, book. no. I mean, and this is not a surprise as far as like books I enjoy, oh. but just books is it's in everybody's fucking I top see. ten I for the year, okay. like no question. Right. Um, but this this will be sort of a spinoff of that um, that I'm really excited about. So uh, February sixth at DC, uh, we're going to get a book called Female Furies. Mm. Um, which is going to uh, be sort of a um, uh, sort of a little bit of backstory that's immersed in uh, you know Kirby's New Gods um, about the early days of Apocalypse um, with uh, all of those characters uh, you know that that are so that they were like pulled right out of Jack Kirby's life um, but were they, yeah he dated Big Barter for a while. Yeah, well, I mean, his his basically Big Barda was Jack's wife. I mean, that that's that's like I said. This this stuff is is pulled out of his life, and um, but I'm gonna get into that more with my my top five pick. Um, also pulled heavily out of uh, you know religion. But so this so female furies. Now is your, is your top five pick? Does it uh, does it alliterate? Uh, might a little bit. Okay. Mm, yep. Okay. Yep. Uh, so, so you might be familiar with these characters um, at this point, especially because they've had a resurgence uh, recently. But, uh, but if not, uh, you know, I, we, you know, comic nerds across the world can't say it enough. Just read more Kirby, but also, yeah, like get caught up on your new gods, people, yeah. um, so you can learn about Granny Goodness and Big Barda, um, and and the Furies in general, and uh, you know, life on Apocalypse and Dark Side and all of that great stuff. That's uh, that that you know, it's just like some of the best work that came out of the man um, in his entire career. But uh, so this series is going to be a six issue series. Uh, it's going to be written by which I'm really uh, excited about. It's going to be written by uh, Cecil Castellucci, who uh, it's be written by Jack Kirby's ghost. Uh, that He's sure. Back. Let's do it. <laughs> let's let's get someone uh, get get his one of his relatives to do some automatic writing. Let's let's get this fucking happening. <laughs> first comic written entirely by Ouija board. Yeah, Cecil just uh, was recently blowing people away with Shade, the Changing Girl, which has been a fantastic book. Um, And it's going to be illustrated by uh, Adriana uh, Mello, Mello, uh, who's been working on Plastic Man. um, You know, fantastic illustrator, too. Um, So this is going to be a story all about Granny leading the Furies. Uh, in their in their own you know their own fight, um, like I said, this this is in the early days of apocalypse. Uh, their own fight against Darkseid, trying yeah, this to. This is when she was like anti-aggression. <laughs> was that ever a thing? No. Okay. Uh, but yeah, they're. Made that up. This is a, this is about their attempts to rule apocalypse. Um, and it's it's sort of like um an unwritten um you know sort of pre-chapter of New God's history. Um, so I'm really psyched about that. That uh, and that's hitting February from DC. Well, speaking of uh, uh, origin stories and comics that are, you know, sort of getting uh, a, a, another second life time in the spotlight, uh, this is sort of a follow-up piece to something we talked about a while ago on the podcast, 
when we when we were discussing IDW stopping Transformers comics. Well, guess what? They're relaunching Transformers comics in March. Are you really surprised? Uh, no, I'm not. <laughs> but what I am excited about is the fact that they're going back to focus on the war for Cybertron. And if you're at all a Transformers fan, like you know, you know that that's sort of the period that like people want to see because it's it has nothing to do with the stupid humans. It's just Transformers fighting Transformers and like mm-hmm. you know basically you know uh, almost pseudo Shakespearean truck drama, um, you know, which is the best kind. Um, so it's truly gonna, it's going to focus on the Autobots and Decepticons and their origins, and it's going to be written by uh, by Brian Ruckley, whose most recent credit I believe was Godless World, and illustrated by Angel Hernandez, who I wasn't familiar with, so I looked up some of his work, and I guess the sort of the highest profile thing he's done has been um, the tie-in comic for also I believe also IDW Star Trek Discovery uh, Succession. So I mean, judging by the art I saw from that, then you know the man has had can definitely sort of copy like uh, aesthetics from one one style to the other so hopefully he can bring that to transformers and uh you know carry on the legacy of idw because if idw does nothing else they're that's it i swear to god (laughs) (laughs) all right so that's that's pretty much all i want to talk about just like transformers coming back i'm psyched i can't wait to see it uh i'm I'm hoping it's going to be good i'm hoping it's going to be cool uh we'll find out in march yeah the id dubs they're like the new dark horse Yeah. yeah yeah um so my, my final of the three comics I am most psyched for in 2019 at this okay. point. Um, this was more, I mean, it sounds like a great book, but it's from two creators that I don't think get enough credit. Like, these are people that are super talented, uh-huh. that have done some amazing books, uh-huh. and you just, they don't get name dropped enough. Okay. So I'm name dropping them now. Okay. All right. I thought maybe we were on the same page. I don't think we are anymore. Yeah, we might not be. Um so this is another book coming out in February of next year. Uh, so it is, and here, here's my names that I'm dropping. Okay. Are you ready? Drop them. All right. Written by Phil Hester. Mm. Um, same page. All right. Uh, the most, I'd say, it's, it's hard to say most notably, he, he has a huge body of work. I loved him in the script. Um, he's a <laughs> writer and artist. Um, he's worked, he's done a lot of work with Green Arrow, which was awesome. Uh, and as recently, a, a book that I've really been enjoying uh, has worked on Shipwreck with Warren Ellis. Didn't he also kill those people in that music-related thing? Uh, no, no. He doesn't have the crazy hair. That's, uh, that's Phil Spector. No, oh. yeah, but close. Bummer. <laughs> Hoping they were letting him write comics in prison. Man, uh, I hope they're not the same person. Um, and artist, uh, Ryan Kelly who uh, I absolutely love everything Ryan Kelly has done. You should, one or twice yeah. Podcast. He's great. Um, he's done uh, Saucer Country uh, and Saucer State. Uh, he's, and he's, he did a, an amazing book at uh, Oni uh, Press called Local, uh, which, unfortunately, the writer I'm still not on great terms with, but um, it, it's, it's one of his best books. And, like, I'm not going to say don't pick up the book. Local is an amazing I'll book. I'll say it. Don't pick up the fucking book. <laughs> I really enjoyed that book. Um, Shop your local stores, but don't fucking buy local. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> this uh, so this is this is actually a title that's going to launch at um, AfterShock, uh, and it's called Stronghold. Um, and it's 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 an apocalypse story. It's got uh, it's it's a romantic apocalypse story. I'm out. Uh, it's it's going to be uh, and and if I know these two guys at all, it's going to be a great character study to boot. Um, so they, they have it described as um, 
It's a college student and delivery driver named Claire who falls in love with a sad sack insurance adjuster uh, that's on her route named Michael Gray. Uh, so Claire is uh, belongs to a secret society called the Stronghold that believes that this sad sack character is actually an immortal amnesiac elder god whose awakening would ignite a cosmos-wide Armageddon. Sounds a lot like Mad Max. <laughs> oh yeah, it totally sounds like Mad Max. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she she apparently reveals uh, herself and her her history to Gray, and it says the the results threaten to destroy not only her order but the world. Mm. So they're on the run from the stronghold, from alien enemies, and from Gray's own memories. And uh, in order for their love to be born, Earth must die. Mad Max, I'm telling you, man. Uh, it's also not original under the sun. <laughs> So I'm very curious to see where this book goes. It sounds awesome. Uh, and uh, it's also going to be colored by uh, D. Kniff and lettered by Simon yeah, Boland. It's pronounced D-Knife. Oh, is it D-Knife? <laughs> uh, yeah, that, and that's, so that's also going to hit in February, so, so keep an eye out for that. All right. Well, I want to talk about uh, two creators also, one of whom definitely doesn't get... Uh, he doesn't? You never hear about Garth Ennis anywhere. You never? Never. At all? He's a very underrated, sort of underground... Oh, oh not underrated. He's definitely, he's definitely underground. <laughs> you don't hear about Garth Ennis. Oh, he's I'm, only, he's, he's, he's done, done like one book for yeah, Fanagraphics, yeah, I think. He's done a couple little books. <laughs> um... <laughs> nothing well known no. nothing that's been made into say a television series or no, anything I, I liked him better when he came out as Chris Ennis uh, <laughs> and, and really reinvented himself um, that, was a, that was a Garth Brooks joke uh, <laughs> anyway so I lost my train of thought oh yeah so Garth Ennis uh, you know who you may have heard of and Steve Epting who you may have not have heard of uh, are going to team up to create a graphic novel from TKO Studios that I'm looking forward to because it's called Sarah, and there's not a whole lot of detail about it yet. However, what detail we do have uh, basically implies that it's going to be a story of about a woman uh, who, judging by the sort of pr uh, preview image, is you know, a, a young woman, sort of not like not a uh, you know not not a typical uh, comic book heroine, you know, you know uh, or I shouldn't say typical comic book heroine, but typical for this story, this type of story. Uh, it's about a, a Russian woman in 1942 Nazi-occupied Russia who basically fights back against the Nazis and uh, you know defends, always a good thing. Yeah, and defends her her, her homeland from the oppressive oppressive regime. So. The reason I'm, I'm excited for this is, one, uh, Epting's artwork is great. Yes. Epting's artwork is the bomb. And I'm excited to see what he does with this subject matter. But also, like, I, I kind of want to see Ennis do something that is against his normal fare. So That would be awesome. So, one, female protagonist. Yeah, that's you know, true. Strong female protagonist. Yeah. Two, like, actually set in a, you know, historical time period and not just, like, this is Garth Ennis going to sort of throw his, like... You know, uh, Guinness hating, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, sort of American uh, Andy Warhol esque pop filter at you know at World War Two. So I'm curious to see what they do. I'm optimistically excited. If nothing else, I'll buy it because it's going to be a graphic novel that you know it will yeah. be all of Steve Epting's artwork. And I forget who's coloring it. Um, and I, some Nazis are going to be dispatched uh, in gory fashion. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, that's you know, hey, what what could be better than that? Oh, so I want my Nazi scalps. I do. Do so, you know, if you're at all a fan of possibly alternate history or maybe you know, real more realistic bent again, like I, I don't know which way Ennis is going to go with it. It would be, I would be, I'd be 
optimistic, um, or I guess I shouldn't say optimistic. I'm, I'm, I would be cautiously excited if he takes it in a more sort of historically skewing direction. I don't know that he will, because that's not really his forte, but we'll find out in, uh, I guess it doesn't really have a release date, so sometime next year when it launches from TKO Studios called Sarah. Nice. Yeah. All right, so I'm going to get a little serious, a little, oh. a, a little political oh. up in this piece. All right. Um, just, just, just about recent events and how they tie into the future of this medium, okay. because I am constantly concerned about it, okay. because I love it dearly, and it means a lot to me, and I don't want to see it get fucked up or destroyed. Okay. Um, so this is sort of a, a bunch of events this year going into next year about Amazon and the comics industry. So Run out of trees. <laughs> yeah, well, that is, but it's different Amazon. This is the one uh, that we all, uh, you know, uh, hesitate to admit that we buy shit from oh, constantly. Oh, right, the one that's run by uh, Beelzebub. Yes, Jeff Beelzebub. Yep. Uh, richest man in, uh, I forget which circle of hell it is. Uh, all of them. Oh, all the I circles. Believe, yes. Okay. Yes. He, owns, he, he, he is, owns all the circles. He's also in his own hamster ball. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's called celebrity. But um, they, you know, because his his company's tentacles are just reaching far and wide into every last little nook and cranny that they can get into. And I'm not going to be so, you know, so, so pissy about it that I'm not going to admit that there are positives to be had here. But I am worried about the negatives. Um, so as you may or may not know, um, Amazon acquired... Uh, the the digital comic book distribution service Comixology in 2014, um, and this year they debuted uh, basically their originals and submit um, sort of branches of Comixology, yeah. as they're looking to cultivate their own stable of talent, and they're looking to make creating with them exclusively very attractive. Uh, to to all the creators that are out there, they're trying to bring in the big names. They're also trying to bring up their own big names and it's not like they're going about it in a piss poor way um they're offering creators that's the the fucked up part is that they're not they're they're sort of on par with what image comics does where they're letting creators keep the rights to their property uh so that if it does go into development somewhere you know that's your call you get uh you know the 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 final say on on the creative aspects of it you get the money from it um they're they're also offering because like it, when you go into the differences between digital and print, it, it'll make you fucking go to sleep. But trust me, um, what what they're offering is sort of the equivalent to a very competitive page rate. Yeah. Um. So it's you know it it it, it there's so much gray area here, um, where you 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 can understand why budding creators are going to be like, well, fuck yeah, I'll, I'm going to submit to you know to uh, Comicsology and uh, you know see if uh, they can you know, help, help me get my name out there. Um, digital obviously is, is such, I mean, it's such a superior platform for, for getting your work out into the world and out to as many people as possible. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's, there's really no disputing that. Everybody's out there doing the Humpty, doing dance. The Humpty dance. Yeah. Um, but I mean, you know, they, they've just got uh, such a lock on this stuff now, especially on the digital end of comic books. Um, you know, and they, they've, 
they come up with stuff like, uh, you know, their Kindle Unlimited package, things like that. Um, you know, they're, and they, they've, they were the, the primary sponsor of even the, uh, the, the small press expo in Maryland this year, which was sort of big news if you're in, in, in the comics world. Um, because, you know, SPX has always been one of the more indie conventions. Also, also small press expo. Yes, right? it's exactly. In, it's in the title. Yes. We're talking about Amazon. So the fact that Amazon was a, was their primary sponsor is, you know, and it makes it kind of a misnomer. Suspect. I don't know. Um, but all this, it, we, you know, it's there's all this emergent technology there. You know, there's there's Amazon getting into all this. We don't know exactly where it's going to lead, but I can prognosticate a little bit here. Um, and the thing that concerns me is that we're just going to see more and more the, the, the death of brick and mortar and print sales. And for the people who do enjoy print like myself, now they're getting into print on demand, um, which adds another wrinkle to this whole story. So like, I can absolutely understand why this is a superior business model. It's so fucking frustrating for me because it's like it's so easy and and uh and inexpensive to sort of get your comics digitally and then if you really do want that that paper comic you know now they're like well we will just print whatever people want and then you know we're, we're just meeting demand 100 percent. there's no leftovers that you have to worry about moving on a secondary market or putting in a box and you know like that just it, it removes a lot of what brick and mortar does. All I'm hearing is I'm old. I don't understand. Oh yeah, I, this the, I you know, and I I know this is gonna lean towards get off my fucking lawn. Uh, I know it is, but the you know these are concerns that I have, and I think a lot of you know I'm sure older comics fans have. Right. Um, Luckily, so, they'll all be dead within a couple of years, so we don't oh, hear about this anymore. Thank goodness. Tired of my tirades. But, uh, but I mean, yeah, the, the landscape is changing and it's changing fast. And a lot of that, like a lot of aspects of our lives, has to do with Amazon. And it's a little frightening. No, it's not. Um, I love 1984. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's it, this has been going on. It's, it, they've really been pushing hard into it this year. Big Bezos is watching. <laughs> Big Bezos. Big baby Bezos. Yeah. I can't wait. Yes, yeah, my favorite new god, Big Bezos. Um, so I'm going to pass uh, pass it over to you, oh, and then I'll get in, the get into sort of the part two of this. Well, Jesus Christ, there's more of this shit? I know. Right. I just, uh, uh, well, I mean, hey, you, you, you launched into your fucking de- sad, depressing <laughs> news, so I guess it's time for mine. Uh, speaking of, uh, well, speaking of uh, politics, uh, it, it just, it, it's been confirmed. Uh, Trump won, the wall's up, and that's why Border Town was canceled. Uh, <laughs> that's why? Yep, that's why. Uh, oh. Not because there were sexual allegations against the writer. Nope, it's because it was a Mexican comic book and they couldn't get across the border. Uh, no, unfortunately, Border Town, which is a comic that we both talked about for, yeah. positively. And enjoyed, yeah, and uh, enjoyed. A, lot, a lot of them. Uh, yeah, yeah, on the last pull list episode that we did. Uh has been canceled after sexual al- abuse allegations arose against the writer uh, Eric M. Esquivel. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right in front. They don't give a shit because he's piece he's piece of shit. Um, Certainly seems that way. So basically, if you're not familiar, if you if you haven't heard about this story, there was a uh, a woman named Cynthia Noggle who shared her experience with a former coworker at a Tucson, Arizona comic shop in a blog post on I believe it was her website or possibly some other website could have been Reddit or, or, or something like that. I don't know. 
She only identified the subject of, of her post as X. So she didn't name names. However, she did say that he had a Vertigo comic book series. And a lot of people who are familiar with Esquivel's sort of work history knew that he worked at a comic shop in, you know, the, in the Midwest. And they put, you know, sort of two and two together, connected the dots, and basically led to an outcry that led to him uh, deleting all of his social media presence, locking his Twitter account, and, and, and whatnot. So basically, the writing on the wall there being that if he, you know, he goes and deletes his entire social media presence, it's not because he's innocent. Um, Vertigo obviously agrees. They canceled the book, so we're not, you know, I believe yep. we're not, they were issues five and six were still, like, ready to come out. We're not getting those. Especially the book is dead in the water. And the real sad part here is like the rest of the creative team, the artists, um, and the and the colorists. The, you know the the. Oh, Tam- Tamara and, and the rest of them handled it. Uh, like they oh, were no, they, they were did. they were class acts they about did. it. Absolutely, everybody but Esquivel in this story has been a class act. You know they they handled it very well. They you know they they said what they needed to say. Say like hey listen like you know we didn't know and had had we known well, but. Uh, it's just, it's a shame that, like, you know, in this day and age, we still, I mean, obviously in this day and age, this has been a more and more rampant problem, judging by the, and not the, the f- whole movement about yeah, it. Yeah, not the first no, time no, not the first that, time. that, well, that this was leveled at a Vertigo creator, right. too. Yeah. And it's just, it's just such a shame to, like, you know, to see people doing things, like, in the, in the comic sphere that, that we like, that we enjoy, and then to find out that, you know, this is, this is still happening, even in our, because, you know, if you look at, like, Hollywood, you look at, you know, the Weinsteins, like, there's lots and lots of agents and executives and, 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 you know, things like that. In the world of comics, it's relatively small, all things considered. Oh, yeah. And for for this to still be sort of a problem that crops up again and again and again, even if it's on a a much smaller scale, you know, it's still still, just as entrenched. It's still a percentage that that is, is... just as unfortunate and just as sort of sickening yeah. in our community as in any other community. So it's been going on since the beginning. I, I hate to hear that it's it's you know still happening, and you know I'm I'm glad that the people involved took swift action to say like, hey, we're not t- we're not standing we're not going to stand for this. We're not going to defend this guy. Like you know this is this is what we're doing, and and that's that. So it, it sucks that we're not going to get the rest of the book, but but if it's made by a piece of shit, then uh, yeah. That's fine by me. Well, yep. well, I will find plenty of other quality books to read. I'm not sure why we haven't canceled all the Rob Liefeld titles yet, but <laughs> for for as much as we pick on Liefeld, uh, you know, I I don't think he's ever had any sort of allegations like this. Uh, I'm gonna level some sexual abuse out there. <laughs> I've seen his Levi's ad, and I I'm, felt uncomfortable. I mean, I will say it here first: if uh, if if Rob is a is a, is a straight shooting guy who has never, uh, you know, harassed or or you know bothered a woman in his entire professional career in his life. Then you know what he goes up a peg. You know what I'm going to offer you an alternative hot take here, uh, and maybe you know maybe I'm wrong. I'm just going to throw it out there, and I'm saying with 100% accuracy, Rob Liefeld is a pedophile. Oh dear, <laughs> I certainly hope not. You heard it here first, folks. Breaking news. Robert Liefeld, creator of such wonderful books as Bloodstrike, Hawk and Dove. He didn't create that. (laughs) And and I dated a 12-year-old. Oh, no. 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 Now now we've we've really got into some... Some dark territory yep. here. We're well, just making shit up. We're we're gonna, not, we're, I'm not making anything we're up. We're going to get I have, sued. I have the evidence. We are going to get That's sued. Fine. All right. All right. So, um, speaking uh, about the... Saying, someone check the pouches. They're full of child pornography. Oh, oh, God. All right. No. 
Yeah. Um, so, so sort of speaking about the future of the medium, um, I don't want it all to be gloom and doom. Amazon is coming to ruin everything. I want to talk more about what they are, where things are headed and to, to sort of like, you know, sort of, sort of promote and cheer about when, you know, I think these are positive things. Um, I, I, I really, I don't want to be the old man yelling from the porch. I don't. All right. Um, I, I know sometimes I come off that Prove way. Don't wrong. want to do it. I want to break the cycle. Okay. Break these chains. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, so I want to talk about something that, that kind of caught my attention that I thought was interesting as far as um, comics in the digital realm reaching a new and wider audience. Okay. All right. So they just announced, uh, this happened just recently, uh, the, the launch of this particular digital service uh, was just recently December 17th, I believe it was. Um it's uh, sort of a new company called Inky Pen. Mm. And what they're offering is an all-you-can-read comic subscription service uh, through, uh, initially, through their debut is on the Nintendo Switch. Yeah. Um, and I, I was like, this is fantastic. Um, I, I, I like the all-you-can-read model instead of just buying piecemeal. Uh, and the switch, it started off popular and I think is even, it, it feels to me like it's getting even more popular, oh, yeah. getting into even more homes. Yeah. So this, this actually is sort of like a bright spot for comics to me is it for, for getting it out there to more people. Uh, um, I'm a big fan of their sister site, which specializes <laughs> in adult comics, Tinky Pen. Yeah. That's <laughs> probably a thing at this point. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you're talking about only paying seven ninety nine a month. Um, oh, you know, too in, rich for my blood. In the U.S. So you're talking about the cost of two print comics to get an all-you-can-read service. Um, and their opening catalog is going to have... titles. No, actually. <laughs> I was impressed. Um, it's, it's going to include titles from... Di- all we have is Border Town? <laughs> wow, that crash and burn so hard. No, thankfully no. Uh, it's got titles from Dynamite, Titan, IDW, Dark Horse, Humanoids, uh, Andrews McMeal, Archie Comics, Blind Ferret, and Valiant. Um, and then uh, a bunch of independent stuff uh, like uh, like Girl Genius is also going to be on there. And this is just for launch. So I'm... I'm for hope- for dinner? Ooh. <laughs> what about second breakfast? Uh- <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, that was uh, Lord of the Rings. I was told by Brian Dennehy. <laughs> uh, the well, the world's great treasure in character acting, Brian Dennehy. Hey, he was in Lord of the Rings, and you didn't he even know played it. Played all the hobbits. Every he played every dwarf in the Hobbit movies. Yep. So yep. now you know. Oh, yeah, you thought uh, it was John Rice Davies. Nope, you, you Brian thought, Dennehy. You thought it was a bunch of people from New Zealand. Nope, fuck that. It was all Brian Dennehy. <laughs> Brian Denethor. <laughs> Brian Denethor. Oh man. Well, that's another thing I have to draw now is yeah, Brian Dennehy is a Lord of the Rings character. There you go. Okay. Uh, but, but yeah, I, I am excited to see where this and similar services go. Um, it's, it, especially because I'm so anti-Amazon, I'm, I like to see them get some competition, especially um, I want to see people championing this model of all you can read. Um, you know, I, I, I think it's got a lot of potential. So I'm, I'm looking forward to Inky Pen and, and uh, what what they're going to do for comics in 2019. All right. Uh, well, my other depressing-ass piece of news sort of ties into my top five because uh, there is a publisher. 
I would hesitate to say that they're independent. I mean, they definitely are. They're definitely not on the level of the big five. But it is a publisher that sort of um, has been ramping up their their output and their uh, their stable in the last couple of years. And that is Lion Forge. Yes. Um, unfortunately, this year Lion Forge was hit with a round of layoffs as part of a restructuring that was supposed to keep, according to their press release, the organization's size and structure in line with its sales. Um, so, for those of you that aren't aware, in 2011, Lion Forge basically, you know, they opened and they decided they were going to focus almost exclusively on graphic novels. Um, in 2016, they started to rapidly expand, basically to launch Catalyst Prime, which was its sort of proprietary superhero universe that was supposed to compete with, like, the big two. Um, and then last September, you know, the, right before these layoffs hit, Lion Forge was set to publish around 130 titles. So a lot of people sort of thought that they were doing fairly well, especially in terms of indie, you know, sort of uh, under, not underground, but like uh, more, much more underground than, you know, you say Images Indie or Dark Horse or whatever. Yeah. Much more underground than those those guys were. But they had a couple big titles, one of which I'll talk about when we get to my top five because I think it's one of the best books this year. And, uh, you know, and all of a sudden the company's, restructuring to to sort of you know like they said to, to keep things in line with its sales so it's just it's it's disappointing and it's upsetting to hear about a, a publisher that is at least in, in my estimation that was making interesting moves in the industry all of a sudden to to have all these people lose their jobs and you know especially like right at the end of the year especially after you know they've gotten some some uh some plaudits for their their output this year so you know, it's just sort of a, a another, um, you know, I guess I don't want to say depressing. It is, but I mean, it's yeah. a, it's another it's sad not, story to, yeah. to hear at the end of the year in regards to to comics. So you don't like to hear anybody about anybody losing their job, but especially people in in this industry because you know it's 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 hard to make it anyway. And now you've got you know people who are who are founding and working at this studio that is you know trying to do well, and, and it's it's. Yeah, obviously not doing as well as the the higher ups wanted it to. So. You just hope that it's not a canary in the coal mine. Yeah, I yeah, I mean I do. There's there's a lot of news that's not great. Um, yeah, I mean <laughs> the the world in general is on fire. Yeah. Um, but when you're you're talking about uh, you know this medium that was always sort of an underdog niche medium, um, you know it's 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 going to struggle harder than a lot of other entertainment mediums. Yeah. Under these conditions, especially since we haven't gotten an underdog comic this year. And why not? I don't. I don't know. Who the hell owns Underdog? <laughs> I mean, it, it, like, we need to get that. They made o- a Snagglepuss comic. Yes. we can bring back Underdog. And it was one of the best comics of the year. Yeah, that was all right. And it was. That was all right. <laughs> <laughs> all right, are we ready to get into this yeah, top five? We've only been talking about forty-five minutes worth of fucking news. All right, let's talk about some comics that we liked. Yes. Uh, do you who do you want to go first? No, I me? just went. Okay, go. Uh, I'm gonna preface this. Uh, oh, just here we fucking go. Oh, it's not gonna be a lengthy preface. Um, but you know, be, because of my setbacks this year, I did not by any stretch of the imagination get to read everything I wanted to read. And believe me, there were a lot of books that piqued my interest. Uh, but I got to what I could. Uh, so some of these titles we have spoken about before on the podcast in different capacities. Boo. But. You know, when it came down to it, the ones that resonated the most with me this year—that's that's what's on my list. No, that's that's perfect. So there's going to be some rehash. I, I did. I took a slightly different tact, um, only because in the last couple of months, while Jared has been sort of getting his head right, <laughs> convalescing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, 
I have uh, I have had some time to read a lot of stuff, you know, and we haven't been really talking about books. So a lot of mine, well, all of mine, are books I haven't discussed before. And I also wanted to make sure that I represented a, a diverse array of genres and publishers. So I have, and I know Jared said sort of through, you know, no fault or, or, or no intention on his own, all of his books are from different publishers. Yep. So are mine. And mine are all sort of different genres because I, I know that I have a tendency to gravitate towards one particular type of book or you know or one particular genre on this uh, on this show. And I, I really wanted to sort of say like, hey, there's some other books that even if you don't share my particular taste in comics, these are some books you can definitely read this year and enjoy. Yeah. So, so that's really what the this is for for me. Uh, my top five are just the books that that really spoke to me, um, you know, the the most that I would recommend to people instantly um so let's just get right let's into it, it. all right it. uh so my first one um i know we've spoken about before but i have read even more issues of it since and it has hooked me even more than it initially did uh right off the bat so that's a good indicator okay and this is a horror the anthology comic book to hook yeah uh <laughs> Bangerang. Uh, it's called Bangerang, <laughs> the untold history of Rufio. <laughs> it's called Imaginary Food and how it's going to lead to the death of every lost boy. No. Uh, <laughs> Except that big fat one. They ate him Apparently it works really well with him yep. to the point where like, he gives him magical powers and where it, he could fold himself it, up. It turns him into a fucking character from Big Trouble in Little China. <laughs> Oh, we're just going off on a weird hook tangent. I love it. I love it. All right, back on track. All right, All right so my first pick is a horror anthology from Image Comics. Uh, you're probably going to know what this is. Is it Mind Management? No, that was not from Image Comics. <laughs> but I love that book. Uh, this is Ice Cream Man, which is written by W. Maxwell Prince uh, with art from uh, Martin Morazzo, uh, colored by Chris O'Halloran. Uh, lettered by good old Neon, which is like the the best name for any anybody in the comics. Now, biz. is his name Neon or good old Neon? It the full name is good old Neon. Man, that's great. Yep, that's a good name. Um, it's almost as good as G. Willikers Wilson. <laughs> G. Willikers Wilson. So uh, this this is uh, this is for for those who aren't familiar. It's a horror anthology uh, series in the spirit of sort of like early EC Tales from the Crypt, Vault of Horror kind of comics, but it's uh, but it's very modern. Um, it's thoroughly modern. There's there's certainly sort of uh, monsters and you know magical metaphysical stuff going on, but what's the the horror aspect of the book is is really just the dramatic. Uh, portrayal of broken fucking people in this book um, is so it is it's not so much your traditional horror story of of somebody sort of getting what's coming to them as a, as much as it is you know just what what what's it, it, it's it's more it really is more dramatic and heartfelt and heartbreaking uh, because it's about it is just about people who have you know who who haven't made it who are lost in fantasy worlds, who, you know, are just, like, left behind, battered, broken. It's fucking 31 flavors of misery. Yeah, it's 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 miserable. But it, it, it in, uh, you know, in, in sort of a, you know, a horror anthology fashion. So uh, that is balanced out with 
sort of crazy stories about venomous spiders and an ice cream man that can turn into a werewolf and uh, uh, they all can. <laughs> you know uh so so sort of uh the, the ice cream man himself is sort of like the uh the crypt keeper yeah, of of this series and he is he's always crossing paths with the and, and it switches obviously protagonist well i won't say protagonist yeah, well, but what's that's Main, main characters, victims. From, yeah, really, from from issue to issue, and their personal stories, and he's always crossing paths with them, and he's always offering them sort of like the flavor of ice cream that most aptly describes the situation that they're in or the people that they are, and he makes it out of just like whatever's handy, um, and it that that's sort of the the tie-in, that's sort of the ice cream man thread, um, and it is beautifully done. Um, it is. I, I mean, it is it is scary, but even more than that, it's it like I said before, it's 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 heartbreaking. Um, it 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 sort of reminds you about what what is truly upsetting in life. <laughs> um, ice cream. Yes, especially when ice cream has chunks of things that you didn't ask for. Um, yeah. Uh, but I mean, uh, shout it, out to Moose Tracks. It's. Uh, I mean, and, and that's just on the writing end. On the art end of things, um, it, it's it's drawn in a very sharp, crisp style. Um, and what one thing that I love about um, the the artwork by uh, Martin Morazzo is the he has these dr- these great dramatic angles to his panels that remind you know it, it's so Hitchcockian, um, which is the exactly what this series deserves and what I don't think you see in a lot of other uh, books or really anything in the, that, that, that involves horror. Well, I will say, I will say it's not on my list. Maybe it's on yours. Well, no, it can't be because this is your image book. Uh, uh, Prism Stalker has a lot of very awesome angle work. Yeah. And, and, and horror this year. It's uh, it's one of those, uh, you know, Sort of, you know, and, and for for lack of a better term, camera placement lessons that that I, you know, the you you wish more people had learned, and you know, and then hopefully they will learn over the course of their career. But, um, but uh, but Martin has got it down. Um, I I love what he does with his panels, um, and uh, you know, they're just a. There's something about the, the the sort of when it gets into haunting imagery and when it gets into things that are a little more upsetting and gory and things like that. Like the fact that you can see every detail of it just makes it more skeevy. impactful. Yeah, <laughs> and skeevy, sure. Skeevy. Um, you know, and and there's there's it tends to be more of a bright color palette too, um, which, which kind of fits with the Ice Cream Man theme and just offer some dissonance uh, in these stories that are you know that are generally dark and depressing. Uh, it's it's just it's the the total package. Uh, there's been so many great horror comics in the last few years, and this one is by far one of the best. So that is Ice Cream Man from Image Comics. All right. So where do I want to start? Because mine are not in any particular order. This is not like this is number one. Yeah, of the year. mine aren't either. Um. So I guess I'll start with this one. So, <clears throat> um. This is a book from Boom Studios. I guess technically, are they just going by Boom now? Boom Studios. Are they still going by Boom Studios? Yes. Every time, every everywhere I've looked, just I've the, just seen Boom. And then Boom Box is like their creator oh, owned. Calm down. <laughs> I didn't need a fucking history lesson. Um, this is a, this is by Boom Studios, and it is sort of my fantasy bent uh, genre a book 
for this particular list. So, if you are a fan of post-apocalyptic stories, and you are also a fan of Tolkien and D&D, you will thoroughly enjoy uh, Coda by Simon Spurrier and Matthias Bergara. So basically, the gist is that you know, in a in a formerly bright, vibrant, alive fantasy world, some shit went down. Uh, it, it's all ruined. I'm assuming Trump got elected president, mm-hmm. and uh, and now basically the world is you know is is a post-apocalyptic wasteland of sorts. And a former and this is sort of where the you know the D and D aspect comes into play, and you know and the the, fa- the high fantasy tropes. A former bard, you know, he was an adventurer. He was basically one of your player characters in your D and D group. A former bard, and that's Spurrier's genius is that he made him a bard. Like obviously one of the least effectual D and D classes, especially early on. Like who gives a shit about the bard? Um, is navigating this this fantasy world to try to find a way to save the soul of his wife, and if you know, if, if all everything I've said up until this point, despite you know, hasn't sold you. If the fact that Simon Spurrier, who I have recommended multiple times, you know, for Six Gun Gorilla and a lot of his other stuff, doesn't recommend you, uh, the 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 following words that I'm going to say <laughs> should sell you on this book. You should go out and buy it. You stop the podcast. Go out and buy it right now. He's traveling this landscape with his steed slash companion slash familiar slash foil, who is a foul-tempered mutant unicorn. If that does not sell you on this book, I don't know what will. It's true. Um, and then along the way, he gets pulled into this power struggle between like all these parties vying for control of the wasteland. So think, it, it's basically Mad Max Beyond Thunderspire Labyrinth, which is a D and D joke for like the <laughs> that got. Um, it's a good one. Yeah, and then Bergara's art is like it's bold, it's vibrant, it's super lively, and it has this sort of like Rankin Bass by way of heavy metal aesthetic that the script really reaches for, and like he nails it completely. So, you know, like I said, I, I mean, I'm not going to belabor the point. If you're a fan of fantasy and you sort of like it when people take fantasy and take the piss out of it, like especially the, you know, the high fantasy and, you know, reevaluate it through the lens of like, well, what would it actually be sort of if, you know, all this aristocracy and, and highfalutinness of, you know, the, your elves and your, your high races was sort of uh, uh, taken into the, the realm of the post-apocalypse. I mean, to put it back in a D&D context, it's basically like Dark Sun, the comic book, but it never quite goes to that uh, that point because Simon Spurrier is basically letting his imagination run wild and Bergara is picking up the ball and running with it. So, Coda from Boom Studios, great book, check it the fuck out. All right. Well, that makes me want to talk about my fantasy entry. All right, let's do it. All right, and uh, this isn't so much high fantasy. Okay, it's low um, fantasy. It is. It is. It's a. It's low dark fantasy. Um, this. This is definitely the more I have, have read of this book, the more this is the book that I recommend for the people who are really into Game of Thrones. Mm, mind management. Uh, again, I love mind management, but no. <laughs> um, for the people who like. Where it's 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 more of um, sort of like a uh, where it's sort of set in that fantasy world in in sort of like a sort of like a dark ages England sort of situation and there's little hints of magic and you know uh, and sort sort of um, otherworldly things going on beyond be uh, behind the curtain um, but it it doesn't go full high fantasy uh, as far as like multiple fantasy races and uh you know and and really um you know really like strong metaphysical 
I, again, I love Orkstain, but no, we're not talking about Orkstain. Damn it. Um, but this is definitely the, that's, that's the one thing that, that, that this book has become for me is like, if anybody is sort of, I love Game of Thrones, uh, especially if they've just, they're, they're familiar with the television show and maybe they haven't read the books and they're just looking for more along those lines. Have I read this? Uh, we, we, this is another book we've talked about briefly, uh, on the podcast. It is. Uh, it is The Highest House. Have not read it. Okay. Uh, and this is, uh, this is written by Mike Carey and uh, is uh, drawn and lettered by Peter Gross. So this is the team that did Unwritten at Vertigo, which wasn't... It's a great book. Yeah, phenomenal book. Uh, and the, these two clearly work incredibly well together. Um, it's also colored by uh, Fabian Alkir. And uh, this, is through, this is, comes out from the ID Dubs, IDW book. ID Dubs. Yeah. Uh, it is... It, 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 it gets into sort of that that grim unpleasantness that Game of Thrones does, where it doesn't at all flinch away from just harsh, shitty things that happen in reality that would also happen in a fantasy That's world. That's the name of the next book. <laughs> grim unpleasantness. So the main character is a young boy named Moth. And he, you know, comes from, from very meager, poor... Uh, you know, com- comes from a you know a family that just has nothing, and his mother feels that she has no choice but to sell him away into slavery. Um, so that's kind of yeah. So the story sort sort of picks up with him being sold as a slave uh, to this this city of high the highest house. Uh, it's sort of a mysterious um, sort of sort of a hilltop city that's. Uh, built on what turns out to be some very dark foundation. There's just a, a really unique uh, history and lineage that they, that there's just some uh, really great world building. So if you're into that, you know, which is something else that I think Game of Thrones does pretty well, uh, this this book... Yeah, it does all right. <laughs> I, I honestly, like, when it comes to just world building, the stuff that really draws you in that's really well thought out, I think Pious House actually does it even better. Oh, I mean, it's, that's not... Oh, there's a wall. There's, the so there's there's a whole history that, you know, like, I, I'm, I'm still reading through it, but um, there's a, a history of these different races that uh, that were at war with each other that sort of like, uh, you know, that established Highest House. Um, there's God, different gods that they worshipped in the early days as opposed to what they're worshipping in the present day and how that's changed over the years. And there's a very interesting caste system going on here, um, which, you know, if, if you're into that sort of thing... If you're into like class struggle, because you know right off the bat we're talking oh, about even like broken bones. No, sorry, but we're 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 talking about uh, you know like most of our POV characters are slaves and they're introduced into this world and there's they meet different masters and mistresses and you know like th- this is <laughs> they're basically like the middle management of this world so they're all sort of. Um, you know they they're they're focused in a particular craft. So you meet this one asshole who is like a chef, and uh, Moth ends up uh, getting picked up by uh, this young woman who is a roofer. And so Moth's new vocation is that he's going to learn to be a roofer uh, in he's Highest a House. <laughs> he's he's going to learn to be a Rufio, and he is going to crow like a motherfucker. <laughs> I'm work hook in the oh, I know it keeps coming back to hook. So good. Listen, if Blues Traveler taught me nothing, it's that the hook brings you back. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, there's 
so so you get this sort of uh, this classic tropey character of of moth who you know is as our main character he comes from humble beginnings um he there's something more going on with him there's this magister involved with highest mm-hmm. house who's basically like a wizard a prophecy um and there's there's a bit of prophecy going Sounds on as like well a mothman prophecy <laughs> 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 the mothman prophecies are in full effect here um but yeah that so there's and and uh, there's some really interesting stuff going on with uh, there's there's sort of this malevolent voice that contacts Moth um, that is is sort of connected to Highest House who's trying to get his allegiance. Harvey Firestein. And uh, no, no, it's Harvey Weinstein. Oh. Well. <laughs> no. That's uh, I, that explains the cast system because Harvey mm. Harvey Weinstein loves the casting couch. You know yes. what I'm saying? That's a it's a major part of his system. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, it's um, it it uh, it's just it's fascinating, and it's and it's so well written. It it drew me in like few other books did this year, where, you know, it's it it's not honestly not not breaking incredibly new ground here. But what it's doing is just spinning a yarn that is. I mean, it's just all-encompassing. I'm, I am absolutely fascinated with every new issue, everything I learn about Highest House, the people who live there, the people who founded it, and Moss' progression through it, and just, like, the terrible shit that he has to endure. Um, and, again, like, I have to speak, uh, ju- you know, try to speak just as much on the art end of things, because Peter Gross is, is just... Uh, I, he, I mean, with every issue I read of this, he feels like he's just an unmatched illustrator. Um, yeah, it's it's frankly gross. <laughs> the 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 attention to detail, the um, you know, the what what this series really offers with the the location of Highest House is it allows him to go wild with the architecture and moth um you know and and his mistress are sort of they're climbing along all the rooftops and they're talking and there's actually like a lot of um clearly a lot of research that went into like how you actually roof um you know in in sort of like a like medieval uh era sort of roofing that you know goes into all these structures um which i also find kind of weirdly fascinating um but but yeah the the artwork is just oh it's it's so good it just it's got such a level of detail. It looks like like a really great storybook. It looks like it was a series of like of wood cuttings. It's it it just it it belongs in a fantasy story. Belongs in a museum. <laughs> so it it is the perfect pairing. Like I said, these these two have worked together before, and they've done great things. So it's no big surprise that they did here. Uh, so yeah, like for. For all the people who are into sort of a low fantasy or for into Game of Thrones, uh, just just want a good yarn that you would put right up on the shelf next to all your Neil Gaiman books. Uh, I highly recommend The Highest House from IDW. All right. Well, uh, my next book we're gonna we're gonna depart from the 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 indie studios, which we've talked about a lot today, and we're gonna, we'll go to the big two because I'm actually gonna put one of them on my list for book that I think is one of the best books of the year. And honestly, I am fucking shocked that this book is off my list because <laughs> I did not expect to even enjoy it in the slightest, much less put it on my best of the year. And that is The Immortal Hulk. Which is on my next-to-read list. My, the Immortal Hulk is fucking great. 
Um, like I said, I, I read it sort of like because I had read all the other, you know, the, the new Marvel relaunches. And I'm like, all right, well, I guess I'll read the Hulk one. I like Al Ewing. I like a lot of the stuff he's done. And I'm like, all right, well, I'll give it a shot. And I was blown away by how much fun and really how, like, in. I don't want to say ingenious, but it, he definitely, he takes the Hulk, he takes the concept of the Hulk, and revitalizes the character completely. So if you're not familiar with, like, sort of the caveat of the Immortal Hulk, the reason why the reason why it's called the Immortal Hulk, is because Al Ewing has sort of taken the Hulk back to, like, the, the initial body horror roots of the character. Um, he, he, and he, he's exploring the concept of the Hulk as an expression of, like, the, the dichotomy of Bruce Banner. You know, normally a lot of a lot of people who write the Hulk will sort of touch on that expression, like, oh, well, the Hulk is, you know, is, is pure id, and Banner is, you know, and, and and he does that too, but basically he's looking at, like, Bruce Banner is, is he's, in the MCU, we sort of take this as a, as a, uh, a not, not for granted, but, like, in comics, like, Bruce Banner is, is nothing. If we look at him as, you know, in the, in the realm of these, you know, gods and monsters, he's frail, he's weak, he's easily broken. And, but he's keen of mind. He's, you know, he's a genius. But the Hulk is the complete opposite. He's pure strength. He's pure intuition. He has no intelligence to speak of, not like Banner does, but he still is able to act, you know, intelligently on, like, feral animal instinct. And the, the, the real delight of this book is that the reason it's called the Immortal Hulk is because Ewing has sort of decided that, like, the Hulk is in this book is more like a werewolf than he is, uh, uh, you know, the Hulk. He, you know, Banner doesn't get angry, and the Hulk comes out. The Hulk comes out at night, and when you know when the moon rises, and you can do whatever the fuck you want to Banner during the day. You can kill him. You can shoot him in the goddamn head, and it does not matter. <laughs> with, with an arrow, <laughs> with an arrow, because it does not matter. When the moon comes up, the Hulk's coming out. The Hulk, the Hulk basically resurrects Banner every day, and no matter what. And um, the story, like the, the story he's telling, is fast paced. It's super exciting. He Ewing is a master of short, like concise arcs. He doesn't get bogged down in these long multi, you know, multi trade volume arcs that a lot of the other Marvel books seem to be heading in that direction. And it makes sense for this book because, like, there's not, you know, you're you're dealing with a character who's basically only sort of on screen, if you'll excuse the parlance, for fifty percent of the book. So, you know, you have, like, what sort of all the shit that Banner gets into, like, all the, all the random, uh, 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 nonsense that, like, and it's, it's very, like, almost Groundhog Day, where it's just like, oh, I'm, I'm gonna die again, I guess, and then, you know, and then the Hulk shows back up and goes and, and wrecks the shop on whatever did the deed to Banner in the first place, and it's, it's a lot of fun in that regard, it's, it's, I love seeing a, a different take on this character because the Hulk has sort of remained unchanged for a long time. Yes, we had like the Joe Fixit era, and we had you know, <laughs> there are multiple different colors of Hulk, but like the Hulk as a character has always just been like me Hulk, me angry, me go beat the shit out of you, and he still is that. But like this extra wrinkle in that you know it basically is like Bruce Banner's terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day, <laughs> and then the Hulk comes out to fix everything is is a delight. Um, 
and the art team deserves special attention for making each panel a spectacle of like atmosphere and grotesquery. The Hulk has never been as sort of like um, Tom Savini American Werewolf in London as in this book, and it like the transformations look painful. They look unpleasant, um, especially when Banner has been mangled or some <laughs> other way, and then the Hulk's like, "Well, guess it's time to resurrect!" Snap, snap rip tendons like all you know everything's wet and glistening and it's it's gross but in the best possible way so like i said this is a book i did not expect to enjoy in the slightest uh it's i can't wait to keep reading it it's one of my favorite marvel books this year one of my favorite superhero books this year with my you know my close seconds being a tie between the runaways and and mr miracle um and, but uh, yeah, I I'm shocked as anybody that the Immortal Hulk's in my top five. But there it is. If you if you're on the fence, even if you're not really even a big fan of the character, I suggest you check it out because you might really enjoy it. I did. So. All right. Well, with that, I guess it's time to talk about Mister Miracle. Yeah, I knew it was coming. <laughs> yeah, this is the one that uh, nobody's going to be surprised by, and with good goddamn reason. Fuck you, Tom King. Oh, if you. Uh, I, I, mm. <laughs> if you haven't read this this series, uh, you really need to. It's that kind of book. Uh, what uh, writer Tom King and uh, artist uh, Mitch Gerards uh, have done here, along with letterer Clayton Cowles, um, they have taken uh, you know the this the the characters from the world of Jack Kirby's New Gods, and they've just brought it to life in a new era and have been absolutely respectful. Um, you know, they, they've rehashed so much of what you might not be familiar with. Um, you know, if you haven't read that material, uh, you, you can, you can absolutely, uh, just read through this and enjoy it on a very surface level. And these characters are new to you. And I think that you'll fall. Yes. (laughs) These characters are new gods for you. And, uh, and I think that you will fall in love with them the way that so many people did when they read Kirby's original work. Um, but this book is an onion. It is a fucking blooming onion of a book. Wait a minute. Back up. Yes. Uh, I, I was with you on the onion analogy. It's a blooming onion? It's a blooming onion. Oh, my God. Uh, so it's like all it's opened battered. up and, and deep fried. I think that's that's a really... It's, it's lost the layers. It's just, it picked up a... There's a, layers. Well, not not if it's a blooming onion. But... Uh, it's one layer. It's grease. <laughs> But I mean, there's there is so much going on in this book, uh, you know. And and Tom King has been writing amazing comics for a long time now. Yeah, he has. Yeah, I'm and jealous. I know it's just like you son of a bitch. Um, but what he has done here, he was also like an FBI agent. Like the man, the Tom King man, has had like the coolest fucking. Life. Yeah, I mean, I think he was a what a, a war correspondent, yeah, um, sure. which is where uh, uh, Sheriff of Babylon came from. But uh, yeah, I mean, we you, you know you like I said, you can enjoy this on a surface level about it being about these these wacky alien gods who are, are drawn into a war. Um, you know the, that you you you're probably already familiar with Darkseid because he's sort of like the the Thanos of DC Comics. Yeah, and um, if you read his comic and and sync it up with the Wizard of Oz, it syncs up perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> but instead of you know his Infinity Gauntlet, there's the Anti Life Equation which feature, features prominently uh, into this story. And it's it's such an intriguing also, concept. Is a wall. Oh well, yeah. Um <laughs> yet another Pink Floyd tie-in. 
there's a yeah. I mean, th- this is this is about Mister Miracle, about Scott Free, uh, who is is known for just being sort of a daring escape artist of a new god. Um, and really, is sort of the 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 core of this book is about him, sort of about things he can't ever escape from. Um, there's so much that you can read into it. Uh, the, like I said, there's so much that, that takes from the history of all these characters that show up. I mean, you know, there's Mr. Miracle, there's Big Barda. I mean, it, it, it goes through everybody, uh, Orion, uh, Light Ray, all of these characters, these, these beloved Jack Baby Kirby Ray. characters, <laughs> Baby uh, Ray. Sugar Ray, <laughs> they stop by to play a few tunes. No. In the morning. <laughs> Um, but there, there is also you, you, it really also sh- shines a light on how much Kirby borrowed from in particular, uh, sort of Christian, um, you know, religious, uh, stories and, and background that's sort of like brought into this as well. Um, but it, it really is sort that's of a, what Kirby does. yeah, he absorbs anything and he shoots out little stars. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> he, he shoots out the best stars. Um, but yeah, this this is really about sort of an escape artist who the can't escape from you know sort 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 of from life really. Um, Can any of us? Yeah, I mean it's this is this is about creation. This is about gods creating more gods. Um, there there are overt nods to both Stanley and Jack Kirby uh, in in this book. Um, you know, over the course of the series. Um, you know, Scott himself and Big Barda, you know, have a child together. So they're sort of, you know, they name it Stanley, a new God being born by gods. Uh, it is named after the God of all these gods, Jack Kirby. It's named the child is named Jacob. Uh, I've, like I said, onion, big time onion. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, this, it, it it's just. It, it, you you can it, it's one of those books where you can just go and you can read it on so many levels and you can reread it you can enjoy it in so many ways um the art uh, by by Mitch Gerards oh my god oh my gods um <laughs> this, this dude uh, has made the best use of the nine panel grid and I know a lot of this is because of Tom King's input but I mean seriously you hear about this this strange mythical nine panel grid that's used in comics that like Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons revolutionized in Watchmen. This is the best use of that shit since Watchmen. Um, they, they really got a hold of it and made it work for them in such great ways. Uh, and Mitch does, he does great things with just his characters. Uh, he's, he's done that, that sort of that, that bit of alchemy that so many artists just can't get their head around where his characters are superheroes and they truly look like that. They, they, these characters look like alien gods, but they also look very human. They're in that sort of that middle ground between, you know, like the, the, like Dwayne Johnson, what you normally see in a superhero comic, which is like this unachievable ideal. And those of us who are just mortals here on earth, um, they, they, they sort of, these are characters that can walk both planes, no problem. Um, and he just he just has this great grasp of sort of the the human figure that that just works throughout all of that. Uh, it's it it it's just something that's it's hard to put your finger on, but 
good luck trying to find other artists who can do it that well. Um, and he's done some amazing things with color. Uh, there's, there's all of these parts of the story where things are distorted, like they're on a VHS tape where the tracking has gone haywire. Nobody knows what you're talking about. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, that's an oldies reference. Um, but but we'll, we'll just say, like, when you see it, you'll, I think you'll recognize it where it just, where things distort um, in interesting ways uh, that they're also tie into the story itself. Um, yeah, and, like, and, and there's, there's just so much, um, you know, that's pulled from, like I said, particularly Christian religion uh, about, you know, just, you know, coming from pain and torture and strife and enduring, um, you know, about cruel teachers, cruel masters. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's, it is a truly mythic uh, comic book superhero story. Um, in, in every sense of the word, uh, all the hype that you've heard is justified. You just need to read Mr. Miracle from DC comics. Yeah. Take it or leave it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Switching gears away from superheroes. Let's talk about a book that you might not. Well, I guarantee you wouldn't have pegged it as to be on my, my top of the year list, uh, is from Oni press and it's called my boyfriend is a bear. Uh, it is by Pamela. I'm, I'm assuming it's either Ribbon or Ribbon. I don't want to mispronounce her name, but there's only one B. And Cat Ferris. Uh, basically, basically, the main reason this book makes the cut is fucking charm. This book oozes charm. It like charm is coming out the corners. Like if you pick up this book, you will get charm on your fingers. Um, <laughs> and the crux of the story is 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 there in the title. A a woman and a bear, like a legitimate bear. Uh, begin an unconventional relationship after a chance encounter in the woods. And that's the service level of the story. The undercurrent of, of the, the reason this book is so good is because it is a metaphor, like most of the you know best books are. It is a metaphor for the expectations of modern dating, especially you know finding someone who doesn't gel with the ideology set down by your family, your friends, even society. Um, you know, but with whom you share an intense connection and a strong partnership. And the script is at turns funny, heartwarming, and then eventually really fucking sad because it also delves, you know, it sails its, its the, the ship of its metaphor into the waters of how relationships can fail through no fault of either party. In this case, the bear has to get ready for hibernation and, you know, the couple has to say goodbye because he's going to be gone for a long time and, you know, they're not sure if they can make it through that period um, uh, of separation. And, uh, you know, Cat Ferris's art, it just in, imbues this story with, like, quirk and life and, and, and vibrancy, you know, to such a point where it is a, a joy to look at each panel. And it is a joy to see sort of how even the panels where there, there is no words, how this story is being told through the, the, arts, uh, the artistic, you know, work that she's putting down. Um, it, you know, like I said, it's, it's a book that you have to understand, you know, this is not a superhero book. This is not a book that, you know, I would, that I normally would, would talk about on the podcast. Not that it's not a good book, but it's not, I challenged myself to read things that were outside my comfort zone. And normally I don't read books about, you know, love and romance and relationships unless it takes place in the, you know, the, the confines of a book that I'm reading for some other reason. But this is solely about that. It's about relationships. It's about how they work and why they don't and why that's okay. And, you know, it is, it is, 
like I said, both heartwarming and, and heart-wrenching. And, you know, if it holds so much weight and so much truth in modern society where, like, emotional connections are made sort of despite our, our, our best interests, you know, d despite what our families and our friends and, 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 you know, like I said, even society might wish for us. And, you know, it delves into the questions of, like, orientation and gender and equality and yet through the whole thing like the bear who you know you expect to be this force of nature this you know this sort of ursine like um uh uh i don't know juggernaut basically because you know you think it's a bear he is like the most grounded most uh, uh kind gentle character in the whole story and it really like again it's all part of the metaphor but it flips the script on like well, humanity is the real animal in this particular story because they're the ones who don't understand why, you know, and why and how this couple just truly loves each other because they're dealing with things that they both understand. They're dealing with the, you know, the anxieties of this relationship. They're dealing with the, the pressures that everybody's putting on them. And if you've ever felt like that at any point in your life, you, this book will resonate with you, you know. Whether or not you're go you're in a happy relationship now or not, or whether you know not you've never really been in a relationship, this is this is something that has universal truth for you know the human condition as a whole, despite the sort of uh, jokey gag premise uh, on the cover. I promise you, there's a lot more depth in the pages uh, that Pamela and Cat are able to convey. So if you know if you if you like comics that have a touch of humanity, I would highly recommend My Boyfriend Is a Bear. That's another one I've been psyched to read. Yep. So, yeah. All right. Um, th this is the part where it turns dark, kids. Oh, Jesus. I'm sorry. There had to be one in here that was just all the spooky, terrible darkness. It had to be like a Smith song. <laughs> uh, because it's just been that kind of year. This um, is Morrissey, the comic book. Uh, thankfully, not as bad as Morrissey. Right. We're just we're gonna go as far as the Smiths, okay. where he had musicians with him that could sort of keep his shit in check, mm. sort of, okay. a little bit. All right, yeah, well, you say so. A little bit. I, you know, I like to think they did sometimes. Uh, all right. Um, but yeah, like speaking of music, um, a lot of the music that I'm most fond of does this thing for me. Um, because you know, we've already discussed that I'm like a moby depressed bastard a good portion of the time. You say a moby depressed bastard? Yeah. Like you're the like you're like recording artist Moby? Yeah, I'm just like Moby. Where <laughs> I uh, you know I go off on these sort of like uh, everything is wrong in the world screeds. Oh, uh, well, that is true. Yeah. So you were actually you and Moby have a lot in common. We do. You should I'm gonna shave your head. I'm gonna shave my head, just like Moby. I'm gonna gonna write the world's fastest song. Um, but no, there's, there's, there's sort of like this, this thing that a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of sad bastard music does for me, which is sort of like an empowering melancholy where it just says that it's, you know, it's okay to feel like shit sometimes, um, where you don't have to just pretend like you don't feel this way. Um, God, this has been Sylvia Plath on comics. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just keeping it real. Let me go close my oven. <laughs> And there was a comic that this year that that came from that place, um, and I I felt that it was very necessary, especially in a year like this shit year, 2018, where so many people were just kind of like fending off the darkness. 
um, by, you know, just saying like, it's okay. It's okay to feel bad. And, and, and I mean, even really bad where your mind goes to, to some places that you regret they went to. Because, um, you know, the, like any good story, the, this is a story about, you know, taking it o- almost to the, to the limit. To, yeah, take it to the limit. <laughs> about taking it to, to uh, you know, like an unhealthy extreme, but then being able to fight through that and come back anyway. Uh, and that is... <laughs> that is that's the tragic story of Snagglepuss. Uh no, it's uh this is I'm talking about Eternity Girl. Oof. Yeah. Jesus. I know. I know. Like we read the first e- issue for yeah. the pull list and then like I thought we weren't going to get sadder. It got way fucking sadder. Yeah. Holy shit. And, and and yeah, I mean it's this is this is sort of a specialized recommendation. Um, yeah, I mean, this is, this is, like I said, this is for, for people who get down. If you're looking for that book that you can read right before you kick the chair away, this, <laughs> this is your book. If you were like, Joy Division sounded pretty cool. Yeah, it's definitely your book. Um, but yeah, this, this is written by, uh, Magdalene Visaggio. Uh, the art is by Sunny Liu, uh, colored by Tris, uh, sorry, Chris Chukri. Uh, letter by Todd Klein, and this comes out from a uh, Young Animal D- uh, DC imprint, uh, Gerard Way's uh, corner of comics, and my comical romance. <laughs> it is it is about a character named Caroline, uh, also known as Chrysalis, who is sort of uh, pa- part of a uh, super powered group, um, and has these insane uh, powers to sort of rearrange atomic structures, um, and is seemingly immortal. Um, but is also afflicted, you know, but hates it because she is just afflicted with a terrible depression. Got that malaise. Yeah. Uh, just, you know, it, th- this is a character who just, um, you know, has to, uh, whose true form is not nor- normal human being looking form. No, oh, she's a fucking bird woman. Yeah. Uh, she, so she has to struggle to make herself look normal. And that's not who she really is. You know, so she can't even be in her true skin most of the time, and that is a source of conflict. Um, but then also, uh, you know, was part of the superhero team and, you know, and and basically, like, went up against uh, sort of an arch enemy and they killed each other and then she just comes back anyway. So she feels like she's the butt of a fucking cosmic joke, which I imagine if... Yeah, this this is where uh, like reading a lot of Grant Morrison comes in. Um, you know, if if comic characters, especially superhero characters, were self aware, I imagine most of them would feel this way. Probably. And so this taps into that. Um, you know, so she she's basically sort of trapped in this sort of superheroic Groundhog Day, um, and is just looking for a way out. Um, is just extremely unhappy. Uh, she's been suspended from work, so is basically not affiliated with her old superhero team at all. They don't really want to have anything to do with her because, you know, they... She's a Debbie fucking downer. Well, and she's just a potential threat, um, you know, because she's in this mental state and they don't feel like they can reach her. Um, you know, so she sort of reconnects with this arch enemy of hers uh, and, you know, who has also been reborn in sort of a strange way, just never quite goes away. And they're presented with... There, oh, there's there's definitely a 
and I'm not I'm not gonna get into too much spoilers here, but there's definitely, especially early on, there's definitely like the idea that her arch enemy is basically in her head. Yes, it's uh, it is uh, sort of very cleverly uh, executed and and uh, and illustrated in a way where you don't know 100% how much of this is truly happening and how much of it is in her head. Um, which makes it even scarier. Yeah. Um, because they hatched this plan to basically bring an end to everything, everything ever in the truest sense of the word. So this is, this is really a story for people who have sort of like flirted with rock bottom where like you are just tired of, cycles and flirted this is a story for people who have been balls deep in rock bottom yeah where like you're tired of falling down and getting up and falling down and getting up you just want it all to just end for everybody ever (laughs) like that's that is the terrible place that that is at the core of this character in this book um and it's sort of the story about just how far this character will go um you know and then sort of what happens to, to move beyond it. Yeah. Um, so it is not going to be for, <laughs> for everyone by any stretch. But if you're somebody who's, who's experienced some lows and you just want sort of, you just want to, you know, you, you want a piece of your entertainment to say like, that's okay. You know, like, it's like we, we joke around about it, you know, because like, you know, you, you have to have a sense of humor about these things as well. But like, you, you have to acknowledge that for a lot of people, it's part of the human experience, too. Um, so I, I think it's a very valuable comic in that way um, where like you, you know, like at, when you're done reading it, when you get through the end of the story, you're like you, you don't feel so bad and so alone. And so because it's not afraid to to flirt with uh, with with how how dark things can get, um, you know, in a way, it's sort of you know, offering, uh, you know, a hand to, to pull people out of it too. So I think Mags did a great job of that. And I, I think that she needs to be commended for it. So that, that's my take on eternity girl. This has been sad bastards corner. (laughs) All right. Well, uh, speaking of grim, (laughs) grim shit. Um, actually, my, my, my last two are pretty grim. Um, I'll do this one first though, because it's, it's next on my list here. This is a this is a book that you can only get through the Shortbox comic subscription service. Uh, if you're not familiar with Shortbox, Shortbox is basically a cultivated. It's sort of like Loot Crate for comics, except not quite, because you can choose which books you actually want to buy. Um, but there there is a list cultivated sort of monthly by um, a, a a a I forget exactly the name of the person who's responsible for the service. But it's a person who basically said, like, hey, a lot of these comic-based, you know, crate, like, crate services, it, you know, you'll get, like, maybe a comic and then, like, a mug and a t-shirt. It's like, I just want a, a subscription service for comics, like, good comics. And this person has been putting together a stable of indie talent who a lot of people might not be familiar with and pushing these books out saying, like, hey, read this. It's great. So Shirtbox has been a, a wonderful sort of a, a breath of fresh air this year, especially when we're talking about Amazon and and, and, and sort of the, the things that are standing out in, in stark contrast to that. And I definitely feel like Shirtbox uh, tops that list. So one of the creators that Shirtbox um, uh, was promoting, I, I don't remember exactly when, you know, which box this was, um, 
But because I read it, I read it after the fact. Because you can still go on their website and, and and see all the stuff they've had in previous boxes, so you can still get this book. Um, and one of one of the boxes, one of the people they were promoting was uh, a person that Jared might know. Uh, she's I've been a big fan of hers for quite some time, ever since her webcomic days. And that's Emily Carroll. Um, Emily Carroll, uh, you might know from her webcomic series. I have to remember exactly uh, the, the whole the fox did make in twenty fourteen. Great little horror sort of psychological comic. Uh, she's also won a couple Eisner Awards, most notably for Through the Woods. Uh, recent, not, I, I say recent, I think it was like 2016, I think. Um, and and she's worked on, uh, for, for people that aren't necessarily comics lyrics, she's worked, she now works, in addition to doing comics, uh, she now works in some indie game, indie video game development. So if you've played the game Gone Home, she did a lot of the... In, in, illustrations for that so she sort of has a style that is um very sort of like creepy chic uh and it really suits this kind of story she writes so basically uh, uh the book i'm talking about here is beneath the, D the dead oak tree um and beneath the dead oak tree is a you know on the surface it's a 28 page comic uh, that's a straightforward tale of basically like Victorian romance horror told through the perspective of an aristocratic, anthropomorphic fox conglomerate. Um, however, if you dig a little bit deeper, uh, it sort of begins to, you know, like like an onion, unfurl <laughs> its layers, and you'll find like the best dark fairy tale told in any medium this year, in my estimation. The entire comic is, one, something you don't see very often, it's told in rhyming verse. And uh, Carol's artwork, which is normally she normally works in black and white, black and white. She's normally you know very monochromatic, like Frank Miller you know style with a couple splashes of color here and there. But the person who uh, was promoting the short box service when when approached when he approached her to do a comic suggested that she work in a uh, sort of red palette for this book, and it really really brings out sort of the creepy atmosphere and like just the tangibility of the the horror but not in like a, a not in the way that you think um that this you know the story is going to be especially even like in the beginning when things seem innocent um and when i say things seem innocent like there's there's it, it starts off in a very sort of like you get the idea right away and you get you get the idea right away conveyed through carol's use of imagery and wordplay. I mean, the very first page is just a sequence of panels that don't does not give anything away like about where the story is going to go, where the sort of like how buck wild it's going to get. But, you know, you're you're like the when the first I think I believe the first words and I didn't write them down, but I believe the first words of the book are where the sky was like something it was like a plate of inky meat, the moon a swollen bone. And, you know, just in that simple conveyance, she sets the tone and the atmosphere of the book. And then you it, it goes on from there. And it's basically almost like the story of Cinderella, where you have this um, sort of demure, as I said, aristocratic fox woman who is, like, wooed by this you know, debonair fox man at this gala. And, he you know, she's told, she, she, he tells her to meet him under the, the dead oak tree. And, uh, you know... Where it goes from there is really where the story sort of uh, takes off and gets crazy. Um, and when I say crazy, it, it basically just... If you've, if you've read any other uh, stuff by uh, Emily Carroll, you sort of know that it's going to devolve into depravity and bloodshed and, you know, vengeance and, and, and uh, you know, just, like, 
almost like audition, like the, the Japanese horror film audition, where it starts off and you're like, you're thinking it's going to be one thing, and then it just, it, it makes a U-turn so quickly into something else that, you know, it, it really, really is harrowing in how sort of quickly, like, depravity and terror influence these characters and control their emotion and their reaction and their responses to sort of the events that happen and, and how this, uh, how, how the, the heroine, and I use that in air quotes, you know, is able to survive her ordeal, but maybe she doesn't, you know, not in the way that you'd think. So I would, if you're into horror comics and you had, you know, are, are especially into like the psychological sort of, and yes, there's, there's gore. It definitely goes to some places where it's like, it's not all in your head, but like the tension and the slow ratcheting up of that tension, even though the book is only 28 pages and is the, the rhyming verse does such a, a, a wonderful job of like pulling you into that because you know normally if it was just told in like um if it was just told in in the, the art of the panels and dialogue that would be one thing and it wouldn't be as effective but the fact that you have this almost like you know creepy like fairy tale like this nursery fable being you know unspooled over the course of these these 20 this 28 page book it really really works so if you're into horror comics and, and you're looking for a good one especially one that might not be be on a lot of other people's lists this year I, I highly recommend uh, under the dead oak tree which like I said you can google you can get it uh, from shortbox you can get it I believe from Emily Carroll's website so even if nothing else check out her webcomic uh, The Hole the Fox Did Make um, you know and, and get an idea of what she's what she's working with because she's one of my favorite sort of horror writers working in the medium today ooh I gotta check that out alright so from my last one this is my new entry to the list. So in the course of catching up on all these new books that I missed out on uh, while I, I was uh I was, you know, sick and getting getting teeth removed and other fun things. Right. Um, While you were eternally girling. <laughs> yeah. While I was wallowing in my own sick, I came across this book. <laughs> wallowing in my own teeth. <laughs> my own pool of teeth. Uh, that's my favorite Marvel character, Tooth Pool. <laughs> Um, but yeah, this, this so this is a a, a little more uh, recent of an entry. Uh, it doesn't have as many books uh, out just yet. Yeah. I think just about enough for the first trade. Um, that is a, just a glorious bit of fun meta, uh, comic book biz meta, um, and it is a book called Cover. Oh, yes, yes. by uh, Brian Michael Bendis, the Bendis, and David Mack. Uh, Return of the Mack. <laughs> Colored by uh, Zoo Orzu, lettered by uh, Carlos M. Mangual, and uh, this is put out by uh, the Jinx World uh, Bendis imprint at DC Comics. Yep. And uh, I mean, it might not be like a hot take, but I would say, despite the fact that there's a couple Jinx World books I enjoy, arguably the best of the bunch. Yes. Uh, this is the one that really spoke to me. Um, but again, you were on a lot of cold medication at the time. Yeah. Um, there, <laughs> I was taking oxy and reading comics, and it, this one was like, "Hey, hey, Jared, <laughs> this, read me, Seymour." This, this one spoke to me in the voice of Tom Waits. Hey, hey, Jared, I thought you should probably check out this comic book. <laughs> Is that Tom Waits? <laughs> That's Tom Waits. Oh, okay. That's how I, when I'm not singing, it kind of sound like this. All right. You know, read comic books; they're pretty good. <laughs> Glad to know Tom Waits is a prospector. From <laughs> he really is. Um, 
so so yeah, this this is the story of a uh, a, a successful comic book creator named Max Fields, um, and Max really, you know, like I, I don't I don't think it's you know any big secret uh, amongst you know between this team that th- this character is an amalgam of Bendis and Mac. Um, you know this this is really I this this is a true collaboration between the two of them. I think this pulls from both of their experiences. Uh, in the comic book world as as well-known comic book creators. Um, so it turns out that Max's life uh, as, as a professional maker of funny books uh, who travels the world for comic book conventions, turns out that that is the perfect cover. Oh, oh. <laughs> oh. Here, here comes how, cl- this is how clever the title is, you see. <laughs> uh, makes This gives him the perfect cover. Oh. Uh, to to be a, a an operative, uh, so wouldn't you know it, the CIA uh, sends a counterintelligence agent known as Julia to enlist him to to help them with some of their good works, <laughs> uh, and he gets swept up in that world. Uh, but it quickly goes horribly wrong, right. as you might expect. Um. And at, at this point in the story, you know, I'm, like I said, I'm still catching up, so I think I still have like an issue or two to go to get completely caught up. But um, there's there's a bit of interesting stuff that that goes on where he is sort of captured and tortured by one of his peers in the industry, uh, known as Assad, who uh, in in an inspired little bit um, is uh, that you know they're. They, they they show his artwork that he's become famous for, and it's actually uh, done by Bill Sienkiewicz, who you know is is astounding. But they really wanted it to make they wanted to make his art look like sort of early uh, image comics. Uh, it's it's sort of a an amusing fusion of like Todd McFarlane and Simon Bisley. <laughs> that's the best way I can describe it. And they show you a few pages of this, and then uh, Max is like, it's a bit much. <laughs> Which was, it's one of those things where if you are, if you're you're deep into comics, if you're a big comics fan, and you're especially fluent in sort of 90s superhero uh, and image era comic books, that whole sequence just made me laugh so much just on its own. Um, and the fact that the creator of this comic, this man Assad, is beating and torturing and making fun of Max's, uh, you know, uh, some some new work that he is developing at the moment, uh, while he's trying to extract information from him. It's good stuff. Um, there's sort of the there's lots of material there that definitely comes from the Bendis end of things about trying to describe what he does to the average person and how they really can't always get their head around it and how they don't understand its importance in the least. So that's also highly amusing. Uh, but then it also gets into the Mac end of things. And I honestly think this is some of his best artwork that he's done to date. And that's saying a lot because the, the guy is super talented. But he is doing w- with his artwork, um, with the the choice of image that he's using, and uh, the you know, and and actually the color palette uh, that uh, that Zoo Orzu is is layering in there is saying so much with without Bendis's dialogue about what it is like to be a creator of just to sort of you know, really sort of doing your own thing, making it from whole cloth, and how it's so hard to communicate 
you know, like that there are your fans, um, you know, so, so basically like the Max is a creator of this book called, uh, was it Ninja Sword Odyssey? I believe it is, um, which is, it's sort of like a lone wolf and cubbish, uh, manga inspired, uh, you know, ninja tale. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 he does such a good job of conveying, like I said, with no words, um, you know, just sort of like the artist hard at work, hunched over the drafting table sort of, uh, thing. And, and also in conversation, um, you know, like, like is, is really getting across moods and emotions, uh, you know, again, just totally separate from the dialogue that you can pick on, you can pick up on very easily, um, that, you know, really someone only who has a, an incredible grasp of the medium can get away with. Um, I was just, i blown away by just so many of these pages it's a great book. yeah um i can't wait to see you know where it goes like just how far down the rabbit hole this character goes um how much more it has to say about comics about being a comic creator and uh and just sort of this you know this sort of wacky conceit of how comic book creators would make really good you know spies basically is is really is is what what's at the heart of this book um, it, it jumps all over stylistically too, depending on what it's talking about. So in sort of scenes with Max, they're different from when you actually see pages from the book Ninja Sword Odyssey, um, you know, and then that can also change depending on sort of the tenor of, of what's going on. So, um, pages that are much more mundane will be different from pages where they're really trying to get across an artistic feeling. Uh, it's, it's superb. Um, this, this has been like one of the best surprises, uh, towards the end of the year for me. Uh, and that's cover from Jinx World and DC Comics. And hopefully as the book uh, evolves, we'll cover it again. Oh, I hope so. All right. So my last book is, uh, and I, I said I was going to bring it back to Lion Forge and here it is. So this is my, this book is from Lion Forge and it is Upgrade Soul by Ezra Clayton Daniels. Um, so, Basically, the the story this this book revolves around uh, the two main characters, and when I say revolves around it, it is almost exclusively it, it involves and revolves around these two characters and sort of uh, some other versions of these characters. Now there there are one or two like there's a there's a, a sibling that shows at one point, but basically it's you're more or less spending the majority of the of this graphic novel because it is a graphic novel uh, with these two characters, Hank Nanar and Molly Teal. Um, and they're they're st- they're the, basically the stand-ins, at least the the, the first versions. They're basically the stand-ins for the audience, as uh, as the you know author Clayton Daniels uh, unspools the book's big idea. So the pair, you know, this this these are brilliant people. Uh, Hank Nanar is the heir to this entertainment fortune, and he funds projects that he views as worthwhile. Like you know, he he's essentially your you know your your aging uh, uh, you know Elon Musk. It, esque type you know type guy he had he made his huge fortune in in you know electronics and entertainment and now he's just like oh this is a project that i think is gonna you know help revolutionize the world i'm gonna throw a lot of money at it so this woman molly teal who's also you know aging comes to him with this sort of wild idea the idea that like what if there was a way to create something from their genetic material that was neither clone nor child, but basically like a future echo of themselves, where they could sort of like, as the book's title implies, upgrade their souls into 
new bodies and you know these and you could have these brilliant people with these wild sort of revolutionary world changing ideas living forever in new and new, you know new sleeves new forms and you know you'd think in your standard sci-fi sort of setting you look at like things like altered carbon you look at you know stuff like that and you know yeah you have like oh people download their consciousness into a new body all right everything goes great not the case in this book this is like the 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 alpha test for that technology that you know you then see you know 300 years later is working everywhere um and like it it, it plays with the sort of a lot with a lot of different ideas um uh, you know the facility that they go into to basically do this procedure is like run down and it's not it it looks like not above board it looks like basically this is all illicit and it basically is it's you know nobody nobody is on board with this project with this with this idea but them everybody you know everybody else that they bring it to thinks it's nonsense thinks it's dangerous thinks it's you know sort of uh and you have the two camps you think that you have the people that think it's dangerous and you have the people that think it's like basically an abomination against you know religion against god like humans should have one life period and all of that is stuff that's played within a lot of other sci-fi. But then the book sort of begins to, uh, of course, as the, you know, they, they perform the procedure. That's, that's no big secret. Uh, and that's sort of where everything starts to unravel. Um, and that's, that's where the, the book becomes brilliant. So you have, like, the idea of time is used as both a constraint and a narrative um, device throughout the book. Like there are, the story is told in flashbacks and disconnected scenes from the past and the and the and the, the present and sometimes even the future, showing sort of how the uh, experiment came to be and how it's falling apart and how it got to the point that it is when, you know, certain characters are introduced to the story or show up and and see sort of the aftermath of what's happened. Um, it's all concisely structured so the reader can follow the jumps. It's never confusing. You know exactly sort of where you are in the, in the sequence of events, but like, it's very interesting how you see that, you know, if A, then B sort of, uh, contrivances that the, you know, the plot that the, the author is, is using in the plot and how they've reached sort of the inevitable conclusion that like, this was never going to work and it's never, it was never going to work for all the reasons that were sort of outlined at right at the beginning. If only these people had had the hubris to listen. Um, you know, it, it's, it's very Frankenstein-esque and it's like, you know, what have I done at, at the end? Except it's also, it also has these shades of psychological thriller. It has shades of body horror, like the new bodies, the, the, the new, uh, 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 you know, sleeves that they've sort of downloaded their consciousness into. And keep in mind, the old bodies are still around. They're still alive. They're able to see what they hath wrought, um, which is sort of the brilliance of this book. It's not just like, oh, we're going to throw our you know consciousness into a new body and then things go wrong. It's no, we're going to observe these new bodies. We're going to basically like shout cast our souls into these new bodies and see what happens. But the new bodies are these misshapen, both like physically and emotionally and spiritually, like disfigured things and they're dismissive of the first two they're basically they're already smarter than their creators when they're you know upon inception so they immediately sort of become dismissive and cynical and and you know they hate uh the people that that have given them life and there's elements of sort of familial drama transhumanist sci-fi there's even some like 
um, elements of if you're familiar with the movie Ex Machina, there's even some familiar some elements of like where one of the the echoes or clones or whatever you want to call them starts to fall in love with like the sibling of one of the original people and like how that all sort of pans out. And I could continue sort of to go into the ways that everything like really just goes to shit because when it goes when it does it goes to shit and uh, Clayton Daniels is great at sort of like showing you beat by beat how they tried to you know address their failings and how because they were so caught up in the idea that like they could be immortal sort of it it doesn't work um I'll, I'll only say this. You'll be thinking about this book, if you read it, you'll be thinking about this book a long time after you're done with the last panel because there's a lot going on. And there's a lot to digest. And if you're at all interested in, like, high-level sci-fi that has a... Not to, you know, not to steal Jared Sunder, but, like, almost an Eternity Girl sort of level of melancholy and, like, uh, you know, everything is fucked, why bother type mentality to it, uh, you know, this this is a book. It's not a it's not a, a book I would recommend to people who are looking for like a fun romp through a sci-fi adventure. No, this is this is a book that's gonna might upset you. It might you know it might make you really fucking sad and depressed and just like <laughs> why is anything worth anything? But I promise you that no matter what, you will think about this book after you close it. I mean, I read it you know a couple months ago and I'm still thinking about certain things, certain elements of it today. So. Great book. Upgrade High praise. School. Yep. So that's that's that, Jared. We did it. That's that's our nihilist top ten yep. comic books. Yep, it only took two fucking hours. Ah, it felt good to get it out though. Yep, it did. So <laughs> um yeah. I guess we'll do the sign off now. That's what we normally do at the end of the show. Uh if I can remember all the we, things I need to remember. I hope you enjoyed this program. Yeah, we, and, this program and others like it are sponsored by your money, so send it to us <laughs> at NPR. Um, so we, yeah, we're we're psyched for season two. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, we'll you know we'll have some 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 new stuff to talk about coming in twenty nineteen, uh, and you know we're we're looking forward to where comics go from here, even if that means that they're all controlled by Amazon. Uh, well, I won't be too happy yeah, about Jared that. Yeah, will be super stoked. Nope. Yep, he'll be super stoked. So anyway. Uh, that, that'll do it for us here at Pen and Panel Podcast. I have been Tom. I have been Jared. And uh, you can hit us up on all of our social media if you have any ad, uh, advice or, or you know topics you want us to discuss for Season 2. Please drop us online. Our email is penandpanelpodcast at gmail.com. Our Twitter is at penandpanelpod, I think. And our website is penandpanelpodcast.com. So... You can find us on all those things. Drop us a line there. Leave us a, a like, a comment, a rating, a subscription on iTunes, SoundCloud, all that fun stuff. Tell your friends. Tell your yep. dog. Tell your family. And most importantly, read and support comics. Yep. Yep. Except local, because fuck that book. <laughs> See you later. Bye. Bye.